Before we begin the episode, we'd like to say that in our opinion it is not suitable for children or for those of you who may have a nervous disposition. Welcome, one and all, to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. Regular listeners to the programme will already be aware of how big a fan of Quatermass I am. Honestly, just give me the slightest opportunity and I'll find a way to steer the conversation back to Nigel Neal's classic 1950s creation at the drop of a guided meteorite. But whilst I've talked quite a lot about the brilliant Quatermass and the Pit over the years, Sometimes I've kind of neglected the other fully surviving serial, 1955's Quatermass 2, starring John Robinson in the title role, which feels like a mistake well worth rectifying, because it's definitely not one to be overlooked, and given the small miracle of anything surviving in its entirety from the 1950s BBC output, I think this beautifully crafted and ambitiously epic tale of paranoia, conspiracy, human self-deception, and an alien invasion by stealth and guile, all played out to the backdrop of a post-war Britain still held in the grip of rationing, conformity and Cold War fears deserves a lot more love and attention than it sometimes gets in relation to its perhaps smarter younger brother. Luckily it turns out that Warren Cummings is a bit of a fan of Quatermass 2 as well and he's joined me in this edition of Vision on Sound to have a good old natter about this piece of mid-1950s TV treasure. So before some container bursts open and some alien bubble bursts and possesses us, let's get Nigel Neal to grumble along to the wheezing groaning of our Fab Radio International time engines and go back to the late autumn of 1955, where meteors are falling in clusters and the British nuclear-powered rocket programme is on the very brink of failure. Warren, there's something on your face! Hello, Martin. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, actually. I've been appreciating the uh, eccentricities of the uh, British rocket. Right, but you haven't been touched by the mark. You haven't had any strange, mysterious black bubbles sort of land on your face. You haven't found any fallen meteors or anything like that that have changed you. ones recently. (laughs) You're not under the control of aliens. Or aminate things. No. Right, so uh, today we are going to talk about what is possibly the the slightly lesser known of the the surviving Quatermass serials from the 1950s, as written by Nigel Neal, which is Quatermass 2 from 1955. We are. And the thing about Quatermass 2 is, mm-hmm. it's the second Quatermass. No, <laughs> it's a, a sort of a, a, a direct answer to combat ITV to a certain mm. extent. 
It was written because of a throwaway remark made by uh, um, one of the BBC board, wasn't mm-hmm. it? What we need is something like that, that Quatermass programme. Yes. You know, we want programmes of the quality of Quatermass. Well, if they remember back to the original Quatermass, um, the last episode, when it was getting into the meat of the whole thing, um, they had a transmission issue and they... Um, had to shut down, didn't they, whilst I they repaired so. one of the cameras? I do think they, they sometimes forget sometimes. <laughs> there's, yes. I mean, there's a, there's a wonderful thing, isn't there, about shared collective memory where people actually don't forget a certain aspect. It's, it's like Graham Norton turning up in that Doctor Who. You know, Actually, some of us remember it because we were like, what the heck? But actually, most people, it, it's like it never happened. And a few years later, it probably yeah. you know, didn't. But uh, it's a quite nice <laughs> experiment had been 1953, a couple of years earlier. 53, yes, yes. It was just after the coronation. And had been a, a roaring success, A uh, all about uh, Victor Caroon and his vegetable fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Green-fingered Caroon, they called him. Uh, Victor Caroon. Seven-finger, seven-fingered Caroon, they yeah. called him. That was his nickname. Yeah. Uh, the, the only, um, yeah, and it swept through the ratings. Uh, and the only reason it swept through the ratings was because at that point there was only one television channel. Which always the helps. BBC. But there, yeah. were, there, was only, there was only six televisions in the London area at the time. <laughs> and they were all owned by Nigel Neal. And they all had the, <laughs> and they had their doors firmly closed because we don't watch that sort of thing. when. Oh, no, they, they, they almost looked like they were designed to look like drinks cabinets, weren't they? In case the servants catch us watching something so uncouth. <laughs> And of course, they would have cost you about the same as an Austin Seven or something. Absolutely, <laughs> you'd have this aerial that could reach the stratosphere to pick up anything from. As long as you were further than ten miles away from Alexandra Palace, you'd be fine, aren't you? One of those basketball satellites, as they refer to. <laughs> oh yes, days before Telstar, isn't it? So anyway, Quatermass was a couple of years earlier. The lead actor of Quatermass, Reginald Tate, sadly didn't make it to 1955. No. Uh, well, certainly to the part of 1955 that we. Needed well, him to. <laughs> he got as far as actually receiving the script. Mm. Well, part one and because it killed the rest it. hadn't been written. Because <laughs> and a month before he was due to um, start, mm. he decided to shuffle off this mortal coil, didn't he? Indeed, in the way that actors of that generation often did, it, it yeah. seems. Too many fags, too much whiskey, I suppose, is, is generally the consensus that basically if you lived off a diet of whiskey and cigarettes for sort of 20 years, you would probably drop dead at 50-something. Seems to be the way things worked back then. Yeah, um, and you're, you're being brought up in an environment that's just heavy with smog, aren't you? And So, and quite not at the last minute, as sometimes suggested. It, no, it's not the last minute, no. Mm. He, he had about a month's notice. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying, he, John Robinson, uh, is it John Robinson? Yes, John Robinson. Yes, and, took, and I'm very over. glad that we've sort of got to this one really early on because mm. we need to crack this mm. this nut straight away. Mm. John Robinson is not a bad Quatermass. No, he's I not. I need to get that out. He is just not suited for science fiction. He looks uncomfortable at times, and I think yeah. that's possibly because there's an awful lot of exposition at points of it's the a heck of a lot which, and there's a, a lot of pseudoscience there and there's a lot of genuine science and it's a still being shot live isn't it so it's you know a lot the majority of, of it is it yeah, yeah. So, so that must have been an awful amount of stress and of course you're also at some point in later on in the script you're actually trying to deliver all this stuff while two special effects guys are strapping you into some string and cardboard <laughs> Bernard Wilkie's got his hand around your crotch pulling Indeed. up a strap <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like Quatermass 2. It's interesting. I mean, for one thing, I think straight off the bat, 
I think it's a miracle we've got it at all. I mean, considering that only a third of the first serials was recorded, and then this one was made in 1955, the fact that it actually exists now, considering how much of 1950s television is, is lost, is, a, is a bit of a miracle in itself. I mean, sometimes the image quality is a little bit dodgy. But actually, and I think that's because of the equipment, though. The equipment. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. And there is a camera all the way through this production that has a problem with its brightness. Mm, you get a lot of sort of halo, don't you? Dark halo. Sort of yeah, halo. absolutely. Or yeah. washed out picture as mm. well. But they try not to use that one as much as possible. Mm. But it does. And this is the thing about Quatermass 2. It really pushes the envelope of what they can do. I'm astonished, even now, by the ambition of the story. You know, when you consider the first one was ambitious and was very restricted in many ways. But this one, I mean, you've got location work. You've got, well, let's put men into space. You've got, you've got, you've got planets, all this stuff going on at the uh, industrial plant. You know, it's an astonishing piece of work as a piece of time. This is a six part serial from 1955 and obviously filmed mostly live i mean there were film inserts it's true but mostly shot live in studios and it is an astonishing piece of work a lot of people dismiss it in comparison to the later quatermass in the pit which i'll admit i think quatermass in the pit is a masterpiece even now and still holds up it doesn't quatermass in the pit does not date it does not date at all the thing with quatermass 2 is it it dates on the idea of moonscapes Mm. and giant steel pressure domes but it's also because it is a product of the time because it's a reflection of what's happening in the time it is is a very cold war story it is but i mean there's a lot of 50s issues i mean there's a lot of fear of the atom bomb there's a lot of talk about rebuilding after the war there's a, a lot of you know these prefab houses all this kind of thing things construction work mysterious powers of government all this kind of thing which oh, yes. were I mean, worrying all over people. the country you've got things like if you if you look at Filingdale and Goonhilly places like that mm. were popping up and there was n- all there were were boards of Ministry of Defence land mm. keep off there was no explanation for anything mm. and yeah as you say and places like Port and Down were coming in and becoming mm. more prevalent they were about since the first world war but mm. people knew about them more yes but yeah, it, it's it's such a. I think Nigel Neal did not like authority. No. Although I think Quatermass Two is much more of a reflection. This is his 1984. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people say that George Orwell's book is a reflection of his time of working at the BBC. Mm. Quatermass Two is, without a shadow of a doubt, Nigel Neal working within the BBC. It's unflinchingly paranoid as well, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. that's. I, I mean, there's an awful lot of paranoia now. Again, you look in the context of the 50s, you've got the Cold War, as you say, you've, but there's a lot of the communist witch hunts that are happening in America at the time. Which, oh, the, yeah. You know, the uh, HUAC research and all that kind of thing. People, you know, what's the, the fifth element? No, not fifth element. Fifth columnists, <laughs> that's it. Fifth columnists, not fifth element. Fifth columnists, yes. Oh, yes, so we're talking reds under the bed. And all that talk- kind of malarkey. Yeah. And, and people are There's very suspicious, that, yeah. and people are looking askance at their neighbours. And I suddenly realised that Quatermass yeah. 2 is actually right bang up to date. <laughs> and, and who are these people? Today. And these new towns are popping up. And who are these mm. people that are moving into these new towns? Mm. And why are we paying all these taxes and not seeing a change in mm. things, but all of a sudden our military is growing? And also, television's now growing out of its infancy. Mm. We've got ITV and 
the world is becoming a bigger place. Mm. Um, the, the Rethian ideas are being totally jumped on mm. here by an, uh, another channel. Mm. And it's being shown how out of date their perception are, perhaps mm. is of what that audience really wants as well. I think you've also got this sense because this is also a time where, I mean, you've still got uh, rationing in place. You've still got national service in place. I mean, quite a lot of the thread of it is because of national service, you know, the, the soldiers that you see and all this kind of thing. But what fascinates me about that is, you know how sometimes people seem to have this idealised view of the 50s? and how they sort of want to take the entire country back to this ridiculously (laughs) idealised idea of a time. And then you actually look at stuff from the 50s and you go, God, it's a bit rubbish, isn't it? It's a bit bland. It's a bit... They call the 70s beige, but the 50s, nothing changed. It was still as bad as after the war. Nothing had changed that Mm. much. Infrastructure was still run down and broken. Mm. The structure of the way way we voted, the Mm. structure of... How we lived, mm. and this is the thing, I, I don't know if you've ever had this conversation, that you will look at people, your relatives, your grandparents, at the age you are now, mm. and look at the photographs of them now. They mm. look so much older yes. because of the clothes they wear, because of the hairstyles. Nothing has changed over the last 20 years. But along come the 60s, and all of a sudden the teenager appears. There's a scene in one of the later episodes where there's a little girl if you remember, who's been oh, kind yes. of taken over, who's got a very haunting face. I still wonder if she's still alive somewhere, you know, because she's... She looks very, very ill. Yeah. Um, she was replaced by somebody else, wasn't she? Because I can remember on the, the caption slide at the end. Because says, not, not as advertised. Not advertised, <laughs> yes. Yet another, and... bring in another brat, bring in another brat. She's much more haunted looking. But again, well, but the clothes she's thing... wearing, she could be a, she could be a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was the thing. Because this was on first broadcast, this was um, well, recorded. One, the bolts was broadcast on the twenty second of October, yeah. nineteen fifty five. So, it and, and so it will, it will be recorded. So, when it, at the end of it, if uh, Rudolf Cartier wasn't happy with any of the performances, mm. he would get them to redo it, and he would film it. And he would, in, when they come to the, the repeat, which I believe was on a Wednesday, because mm. the showing was on a Saturday, wasn't it, mm. I believe, he would slide this in. So if their performance is terrible the first time, <laughs> he'd slide it in. So I'm wondering whether that second performance, that, that's not as scheduled, well, again, might it... have been somebody else brought in to do it, because their performance initially was terrible. But that girl is so drawn. She she does look possessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she looks really ill. And, it's interesting, um, I think, that uh, because when you actually think about the 2005, you know, when they remounted Quite a massive Quite experiment massive, yeah. for for that one off evening thing in that sort of running around Battersea. Is it Battersea Power Station? <laughs> or, 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 it looks like Battersea Power yeah. Station. No, it's not Battersea. There is a. I cannot remember where it is. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been out the front of the Tate mm-hmm. Modern. Ah, Tate Modern, yes. But the, what I'm saying is there's a fluff, isn't there? And when it comes out on DVD, they use the rehearsal shot rather than. So, so that yes. is not unprecedented, shall we say, as an idea. <laughs> I met um, I met Quatermass. Hmm. I met him filling his car up with petrol. Which Quatermass was this? <laughs> this will be the live Quatermass. Ah, oh, uh, Jason. Jason, Jason Fleming. Jason Fleming. Oh, well, fair enough. And I, I went up and um, I asked for his autograph. And, uh-huh. I, and I said, I remember you being in Quatermass. And he just puts his hand on his shoulder and says, my mother is the only one who ever talks about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Fleming, of course, being the son of Gordon Fleming, who was a very famous film director in, in British film yeah. back in the day. 
But um, I did did a big rubber glove covered in vegetation leap out of the car at you by a hitch. <laughs> Well, this is the thing. Um, we, did, we didn't see a monster in the live live no. version, did we? It's very cerebral. I mean, um, yes. Nigel Neal is a very cerebral writer. I mean, it's it's interesting yes. actually in this story. I don't I, again leaping to the end, which of course I shouldn't do. But there is a, a sequence in episode six, or yes, it's episode six, where he talks round the possessed Dylan into to not. Being acting under the will of the aliens, so they can launch the rocket, and that I imagine is very much the same kind of thing that happened when Quatermass in the first serial talks round the three possessed astronauts who are living as one entity and persuades them not to kill humanity. And I think it's interesting because in in this one it doesn't work. It's uh, the only reason Dylan lets them launch the rocket is because Hughes there isn't Pew, it? Pew is already possessed, and they want yeah. to use the rocket to get to Earth quicker yeah they want to bring more more of mm. their kind in and i like the idea that, that again i'm starting in the back working mm. to the front but i like the fact that it's a gestalt it's mm. it's one entity mm. and there's that idea of when one person finds out that bit of information mm. it's slowly filtered down through to the others because there's a wonderful scene mm. where we come up to the uh, end of the fourth episode mm. because we have the warning about the fourth episode mm. the BBC warning oh yes <laughs> not the children or those of peoples of a nervous disposition, disposition. yes <laughs> why that episode oh, particularly well, there is you go. you're losing half you just lost half your audience haven't you well maybe maybe well I don't know at the time it was on I mean wasn't it broadcast later as well I mean, it was, it was yes one of those, that was uh, after nine o'clock I think mm. that one was and of course but, uh, that was the one they repeated on the BBC one was it was it night that they had the BBC Two? Oh yeah, that's entertainment mm. on the on the oh the TV fifty. Yes, and uh, yes. and it had that warning at the beginning, which of course people think is hilarious now, but actually, actually, episode four is just well. I think episode five is worse because you have you have the riots and you're having and this is just after mm. the war. Mm. And you're having people, you know, civilians picking up machine guns, yes. almost sort of um, and being shot down. Yeah, on resistance style, isn't it? Yeah, it by is a military, a back uh, to resistance, yeah. quasi-military organization. But also, I mean, that is the line. Uh, that is the episode with the the human pulp, which is still That's horrible. one of yeah. the more disturbing aspects. I suppose we should really scroll back to earlier in the story. Yes, yeah, so let's go back to the beginning. But, um, how how it all starts off in a field. Can, can I actually Kent. just say one thing to you at this point because I, I know it's going to come up. Spearhead from space. Let's get that out of the way, or mm. Ambassadors of Death, because mm. that's the Quatermass experiment. Mm. Yeah, let's get it out of the way, because Nigel Neal does not like the two being connected. Mm. He, he absolutely he loathed Doctor Who. Yeah. and um, But what, what Robert Holmes yeah. was definitely, in Spearhead, was riffing on those... I mean, the opening scenes of Quatermass 2... And the opening scenes of Spearhead. They're not quite shot for shot, but there's an awful lot of similarities between those yes, two, isn't there? very much so. And like you say, a lot of this stuff that goes on in a, another later episode. I mean, the the model for that seventh season, the first John Pertwee season, is very much the Quatermass model. And we should probably just leave that there as it stands and acknowledge that it exists. Absolutely. But, if- but it, it, you know, you have to also acknowledge that Quatermass set a cast a mold, mm. cast a mold that can't be broken. A long because, shadow as well, I would say. Yeah. 
and and most science fiction in some form or other that's been made in this or even worldwide to a certain extent, B movies to a certain extent as well, the fingers reach out from it. There is mm. something there. There is something because this that Quatermass Two is very much invasion of the body snatchers. Mm. It's also Quasar sort of Russian invasion mm. by stealth. There's a, there's a lot of influences sort of playing yeah. into the into the melting pot, but I do think that part of the magic of Neil is that he manages to sort of weave those together into a fascinating piece of television. Absolutely. He does draw you in, he does draw you in, and you think you're going down this logical road. And it does this in, in episode episode one, where Quater Masson's Captain Dylan, who is his perhaps-to-be son-in-law, mm. are going out to look where some meteorites had landed, mm. as opposed to just not fallen, because they fallen in a sequence mm. together and um, you think you're going to a normal area and then mm. all of a sudden you hit a massive grace secret military base but he's a, he's a masterful writer when it comes to creeping menace i mean again that works incredibly well in quatermass and the pit specifically just yeah. these little words and phrases that sort of suggest something and right he plants a seed he's a very good farmer for planting a seed well ironically it's a farmer who in the very early scenes actually absolutely a little bit of eerie music well that's think about smelled a bit like old stables, stables. old stables yeah. yes you know. mr large mr large and of course oh. hilda barry oh i'm so low i'm so glad you mentioned her because she's written down here on my bit of paper and hilda she turns barry. up again in quatermass yeah. on the pit and I actually like the idea that Mr. and Mrs. Large changed their name, moved to London, <laughs> buy a house in Hobbs Lane, or, or rent a house in Hobbs Lane, and it's them again, and they've recast the husband. But you know, he's, he's getting on a bit. It's, it's, it's wonderful moments with with with. Well, it's with, the side effects. It was the side effects weren't known, were they? Say yeah. long term, so it could have been the side effect. <laughs> Gosh, yes, that's a lovely idea. Um, Hilda Barry is one of two people that the Rudolf Cartier has used mm. in Quatermass because can you guess who the other one is? Uh, it's the abominable snowman, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Which actors have they used in Quatermass Experiment and Quatermass 2? Oh, I'm trying to... I, I can't remember. Go on. Uh, Old Man Steptoe. Old Man Steptoe's in... I forget he's in Experiment. Yeah, he's he's, he's in Experiment. He's um he's a drunk. typecast <laughs> again. He's a drunk, yeah. But you Real get, again, throughout this, you get these... I mean, I think every week there is an interesting guest star. So you get Hilda Barry in the first one. You get Old Man Steptoe. You get... <laughs> you get... Is it Rupert Davis? You know, you get... Rupert Davis. Maigret. Um, He's a few years before Maigret, isn't he? He gets bunked off. He's an MP, isn't he? That's right. And you get Roger Delgado in an absolutely cracking, cracking cameo. But I've not actually seen Delgado in anything ropey, even in in an ITC production. He's he's fairly on the ball, but this is brilliant. Well, I've got to say, I've watched the serial twice in a week to prepare for this. You know, mainly because the first time through, it's playing now as I'm talking. Well, this to is you. it. But I mean, I, you know, we, we I, 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 this one of the reasons I wanted to record this now while it was still fresh in the memory because I actually no, we, it's rolling away in front of me. The first time round, I, I made no notes, and then I thought, oh crikey, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. I've got to watch it again. But then again, it wasn't difficult. It's not to a do chore, that. is it? It's, it's really not, not. So twice in a week. But when I watched the the coming the second time, the Hugh Conrad, you know, when he's possessed. And he's on the phone trying to get his yeah. report. That and he's is... looking at his hand and he's just trying to grab hold of his humanity. It's a brilliant 
just a brilliant yeah. performance, yeah. you know, in amongst, you know, the whole serial. It still stands out. You forget how... I mean, I know people just go on about him being the master and everything like that, but it's no, a phenomenal, it's, far, far, it's a phenomenal minute of you know drama. I mean, yeah. if if you if you could pick any sort of minute from Quatermass two that really just is absolute television gold, I feel that that moment where Roger Delgado is just trying to report his story is phenomenal, phenomenal. But- there's another bit that's actually playing on my screen at the moment okay. that's um, always... And you've mentioned it recently. Mm-hmm. It's the family having the picnic. Oh, don't. When you talk yeah. about, you know, people <laughs> of a nervous disposition, the family having the picnic, it's it's interest, It's an interesting scene. That, that's, uh, is that in it episode is. three? Is that in episode three? Or, or... It is, but, but you don't see the whole scene play out, but well, it's played to in, in the background in snippets well, that's by the sound. Thing. They are... I mean, by that stage in the plot, our heroes, if you like, are in the uh, the plant, aren't they? The plant where the alien yeah. food is being made. I know we're, we're sort of bouncing around the plot here a bit, but we've met the family and we've seen them arguing with the, the zombie men, the uh, possessed guards of the plant. And what fascinates me about that scene is, one, how incredibly old the parents look. Yes, to, how, to, there's a young Melvin Hayes. Yes, Melvin Hayes is the youngster, which always astonishes me. Although, I, I, you know, and he's there with his face mask on, his flippers, and everything like that. But whilst Quatermass and his friend Fowler are, are basically, there, is is it about the time that what's his name's been killed? Ward, uh, Rupert Ward's Ward has already um, died. There, there was some, yeah, because they hear some gunfire, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You hear the gunfire yeah, in the you distance. You hear the gunfire, and you don't know what They the are trying to escape the plant. Until. And, yeah, and then yeah. suddenly that you see this car being towed in, and there's just this arm. And then um, as, yeah. as Quatermass escapes in his car, he drives past the place where the picnic was, and you see this flipper on the ground. And it and is the smash, it's the smash a goggles gut punch. as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah, but it's an absolute gut punch. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And it's, for, for 1955 television, I know it's a lot of it's implied, and I know, but it's actually in some ways that makes it more shocking. I know that's yeah. weird. You know, if yeah. you'd add sort of the slow mo and the Sam Peck and Par and all of you know, I, I feel that. Yeah, but you're not, if you give it away, you're not, it, it, no. you're, you're packaging it up. So everybody has that, at that time, had. A memory of going away with your parents mm. somewhere, because their case it was just having a picnic. Yeah, and but it just plays on the imagination. Yeah, and it it does. It yeah. gets inside your head. That scene even now gets inside your head more than yeah, loads and loads of much more graphic violence or whatever I'd seen over the years. You know, all all the police series you watch, all the CSIs, all those things. Actually, yep. that scene in Quatermass Two is devastating and it still remains devastating i don't know i mean you know I, you can't possibly watch it when i was at college i wrote about quatermass in the things i had to write and uh, because i only had the script books so when the dvd set came out and it included quatermass 2 in it the fact that i could see it at all i mean i'd been to the bfi and i'd watched the quatermass experiment you know i'd been to the nights where the quatermass experiment surviving episodes are shown, you know, but to actually be able to sit down and watch Quatermass 2 after writing about it all those years, I was so happy I could see it, and and it didn't disappoint. You know how sometimes stuff on the page, you actually see it, and you go, oh, this is a bit shonky, you know. Yeah. I, it, it, it's, it, I, it's an amazing piece of work. Well, my, my friend of mine, Andrew, I, you know Andrew, uh, mm. and I was obsessed with that moment because we'd had the You VHS. went for a picnic one day. 
Yeah, for a picnic one day, met Melvin Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary. You're alive. Possible. I don't want to go there. <laughs> I was obsessed with Pitt, mm. and I the only clip because I got excited because mm. they were talking about science fiction on the ITV program called This Morning. Yes, many many years ago, mm. and I just happened to have the video recorder standing by, and they were talking about it. And they started to show a clip of Quatermass experiment. Mm. Bang! On goes the recorder. Bang! So that weekend when I saw Andrew, I said, you want to have a look at this, mate? He said, what's that? So that's Quatermass experiment. He was like, bloody hell. And we were like, got excited about that. And I got very excited about Pitt, even mm. though it was the cut down video version yes. of it. So when I got to 21, um, Andrew said, uh, happy birthday, it's a 21st birthday present. And it was a uh, <clears throat> copy of Quatermass 2. Right. And I watched Quatermass 2 until the tape snapped. <laughs> it's, it's just something about Quatermass 2 yeah. that I'm drawn to it. I know it's going to say, yes, Pitt has a better quality mm. as far as transmission is concerned. But I think the contents of both are equally match but i just love quatermass too because it has a dirty grainy feeling yeah. to it anyway the story's not appearing on my screen now is mm. is is the the car being dragged mm. into the with the arm hanging out it's yeah. got a it's got an uncomfortable grainy feeling about it all these whispering in some ways yeah it's got a real yeah. world feel hasn't it it feels plausible i mean in some ways pit takes you to a i mean i i love pit but it's Pitt's kind of, more public, isn't it? Because well, no, it's I think out- it's just it's it's you've got that five million years, you've got an actual alien spaceship, you've got all that stuff. Whereas Quatermass Two is very much, it feels real worldy. It feels like yeah. you almost it's it's round the next corner. It's out the corner of your eye. It's that it's just there, yeah. isn't it? You know? And the fifties, and this is possible for all this to be done in secret mm. because people's distractions are elsewhere. Mm. Their, their, their everyday life is they're still getting over the traumas of war they're still trying to rebuild the finances the economy so anything that just slides under the radar mm. people don't really take much notice oh they're just rebuilding I don't, it's I just don't, this. I mean, people if, don't if you, ask the questions do they but i think it's also there there is a, a magic in the actual the words you know the writing because yes. I, I mean there's a there's a scene that pops into my head even now and it's just that old Dodderer in the pub. Oh, you know, the bulldozers. I, 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 I courted a girl from Winnington Flatcourt. Married a lovely word. Married <laughs> You know, and I just think, yeah, yeah, it's 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 just that tells you in, in one sentence you get a whole lifetime, and that is brilliant character work. And and indeed, you know, all that talk about the bulldozer, the village that gets bulldozed to, to make this. Well, the basically quite a massive. But there are plenty project. of villages that the, the military took over during the Second World War. They did. Uh, we have one down in Dorset called Tynum, and you know that that's a relic. That's just a, a shell now. That's that's Winnerton Flats. I think the other interesting thing that Nigel Neal does, and again in episode one, this is probably played up more, is he uses the language of television. You know how later on Russell T Davis would use you know, like news footage in mm-hmm. his scripts, you know, to, yes. to give it a real-world feeling. Well, Nigel Neal was doing much the same thing. I mean, you're using things like, you know, cine film. That, so you get these film inserts of... There's there's been a... Dis- Let's face it, Quatermass, his reputation... 
<laughs> how he, how he, how anyone ever wanted to work with him. His first rocket nearly killed, ended the world, and, and all the crew got killed. Well, to, to, to be fair, you know, I think they've sort of sussed that by about Quatermass and the pit, <laughs> and they've gone no because the military are taken over because yeah, he's so it, destructive. But, it's the, but the, the fascinating <laughs> thing to me is that his first one does that. The second one, there's this basic massive atomic explosion in Australia that takes out the entire. Yes, takes out half the continent. But, but later on in pit, he goes, oh, yeah, they keep referring to him as the rocket man. Oh, yes, great about it. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know what the headlines would have been like for you. Yes. Oh, it's, it, it, um, was it Full of Love says, oh, he's been out of the, the headlines of late. Too blooming right he has. People want to live. There's two moments in it, and there's two moments in it where John Robinson walks into a room and goes, I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he does that to Hilda Baker, and that gives he, it gives him total authority. It's it's fabulous. Yes. It's just you know people. Oh, well, he's a scientist. He knows what he's talking about. Unlike nowadays, where people go, he's a scientist. Well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, it's a wonderful thing to get to Hilda Baker. It's just um, um, the, the captain introduces him, and this is Professor Quatermass. The first thing he says is, "I'm a scientist." <laughs> well, you'd have thought the fact that he called him Professor would have been a bit of a giveaway. But yeah, there's that double downing of this man has knowledge. You need to listen to him. He's really important. The knowledge he's going to get either from you or part A. But the other fascinating thing, there's a wonderful piece of circular storytelling as well, because actually, if you think about Quatermass and the Pit ends with that speech against, you know, if if, if we don't, you know, listen to this, this this will will be be the next next planet and all that kind of thing. But actually, Quatermass 2 ends on a bit of a, it's over and it, it literally is. I think, yeah, but the, I think that's more of a relief for John Robinson. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing about that is <laughs> that he actually says us. in episode one, it's over, when he's talking about the research, you know, because the rocket's Yes, over. he's talking so, about, yes. So there's a kind yeah. of parallel with that it's over at the beginning and that it's over at the end, which I think nicely brackets the entire story, actually. And I, I think that's, I don't know how deliberate that was, but it, it just feels sort of nicely planned. So basically... At the end of the first episode, Dylan, uh, they find one of these hollow meteors that they've they've discovered. These meteors have been coming down. Yeah, they find one. One lands in the Banner Village. Yes, and one lands, and Dylan, there's something on your face, and that is the end of episode one. He gives out a terrible cry, as if he's got heavy mucus, Mm. (laughs) and there is a little bit of a there is a little bit of a, a long shot on John Robinson there which yes are we, are we off are we off yet are we off yet that's the yes, credit there was a little bit of confusion on that one but um yeah the cliff uh, you're not disappointed by the cliffhanger no. my favorite well I've got two favorite cliffhangers mm-hmm. and this one it involves Hugh Griffiths looking into the radar screen oh and yes, turning up three, yes that's a fantastic cliffhanger yes it's just it's it's uh, trajectories basically heading towards the planet at this mm. distance, and then he just looks up at them, yeah. and it just bang crash in the music. A fabulous Welsh actor, uh, and does some yeah. lovely scenes, especially about when he was the boy genius. Yes, but he's got one of those faces that if you actually light it from below, <laughs> he looks it's quite incredibly sinister. sinister. It's, it's like his eyebrows arch, and he, and he suddenly looks very <laughs> demonic. And, but, and that's deliberately used to its best effect in, in Quatermass 2, isn't it? <laughs> yes. The lighting, I have to say, the lighting is very good in Quatermass 2. I don't know whether it's just because of the quality of the transmission or the fact that, you know, they haven't overlit things. And when they need a room to be dark, it's not too dark because mm. obviously the, 
the resolution of the cameras was pretty poor in those days. Mm. But it works really well. Also, the sets, the sets are going to be cheap anyway because mm. you're stretching the amount of budget you have over those sets is is quite a lot. And recording here at Lime Grove Studios, mm. and let's be fair, it's about the size of a shoebox in Lime Indeed. Grove. There's also a, a rather wonderful sort of factoid, if you like, but on four of the five remaining episodes the recap is done by nigel neal himself uh, yes that's lovely he's also the voiceover isn't he yeah, and that's the thing the one episode where he doesn't do the intro is because he's actually in it because <laughs> <laughs> yes. he he provides the panicky or not panicky or authority voice from within yes. the uh, the actual food production switch plant. it off switch it off switch it off yes <laughs> in the background and i imagine that's because people would have gone that's that voice of the bloke at the announcer at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> yes. but it is fascinating to hear nigel actually giving the recaps i always think it's fascinating as well with a recap sometimes is when is, because we've we've covered this also on the flash gordon podcast that i've been doing is that sometimes <laughs> the recap makes you oh that's what happened <laughs> <laughs> But I think, actually, though, that, that, to be fair, that there's nothing that you learn in the recaps. Possibly a little bit about there being a lot more of the debris on the ground from the yeah. from the overshots. It does sort of come up only in the recap. And it's also fascinating that the script books don't have the recap text on them. So it, they are I kind of... I have my script book in front of me. Hmm. My Penguin. It's my gen- it's my first edition Penguin. Ah. I have first edition uh, Quedamass Experiment, Quedamass 2, and Quedamass in the Pit. Hmm. Excellent. Um, see, I'm I'm a lately comer. I, I was the Arrow paperbacks in the, in the late oh, 70s. No, I I went trawling. I only uh-huh. found these because I went trawling. But the, the, this mark, this mark is quite interesting because it's not something that disappears after the but, first. Well, this episode. is episode two this of is, the mark, isn't it? Where, yeah, where but, the people um, who you can tell have got something wrong with them. There's a wonderful. <laughs> There's a wonderful scene in episode two where Quadamas goes to this prefab town, which is basically self-policing, <laughs> and meets a very officious man. Yes. <laughs> do you do you want me to call those guards? It's a wonderful thing where he goes, I, this is a free country in a time of peace. Yes. <laughs> Pompous old goat. <laughs> but of course, that's the fascinating thing I find. You had... There's a reference in, in episode one as well about country folk, you know, and their funny ways. And it's like there were the oiks and the... Um, I mean, there are some interesting representations of oirish workers and navvies and things in later episodes as well. But there was definitely... The class system is so upfront here. I know you oh, have yeah. issues particularly with... Is it Paul? What's his daughter's name? Oh, yes. Paula Quatermass. Paula Quatermass, isn't it? Yes. Uh, played by Monica Gray. Yes. But oh, I actually, I think... I mean, I know now it, her performance sounds very plummy, but actually I don't think that would have bothered people at the time. That would have been just no, what they no. thought women on television sounded like, quite frankly. it's it, uh, it Now it can seem a bit, ooh, that's a bit sharp. The other interesting thing, of course, we assume that she and Jimmy Dillon died in that horrible car crash that left us with Ringstone Round to go to. Oh, Lord, yes, they got, didn't they get killed supposedly on the autobahn or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. We're assuming it's them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe um, it didn't I'm... work out with Dylan. I don't know. He came back. I mean, he, although he, he looks quite jolly again at the end of episode He's quite six. happy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's over the shop. Oh, Cyril Shaps. 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 You know, it still surprises me that Shaps was I, in the I, yeah. I know. I, I mean, change. I know he is, but it just, it's like, it, it's... Uh, 
you know, ha, you know <laughs> considering the career he had, it's just oh God. It's, but then again, it's like uh, Moray uh, Watson, doesn't it? In in yes, experiment, quite a nice experiment, yeah. Because you watch these people in their later careers turning up in all sorts of things, and then you suddenly think, oh yeah, and they were in quite a match. I mean, I've, oh, I've before, seen Hilda mm. Barry in uh, things like Special Branch in. 1772. There's something about actors of that generation where they looked ancient for about 30 years. Yeah, she always looked the same age. Hmm. Uh, and she always looked. And of course, that made them a was. career. You know, you, you, you could play, hmm. play little old ladies, or, you know, but, but, but Shaps looks no different in 1955 <laughs> as he did in. Shaps, Shaps has cling filled and put in the freezer for his next amazing, performance. He's marvellous, isn't he? Yeah. And he is, he is totally Shaps, isn't he? Hmm. Uh, episode two of the Mark also moves into the corridors of power where we can start to get a little bit. The, the fascinating thing to me is that when he goes to New Scotland Yard. <laughs> He doesn't get the same policeman he got in the first serial. No. <laughs> and the new policeman is basically, he's got some Dixon and Doc Green stuff going on that he's much more interested <laughs> in. <laughs> he sort of, oh, no, no, we can't talk about Willington Flats. But of course, that's all about the building, the paranoia. And we end up in the corridors of power and we yeah. meet Vincent Broadhead, who's played yes. uh, beautifully by Rupert Davis, who I always think is only in the in the one episode, but he's in actually, he's, he crosses... He just, he just about makes it into the next one, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, is he bumped off, or is he just possessed? I, I... He's, uh, uh, well, we're not really... He's left with some very dodgy-looking St. John's ambulance people yes. who look very coldly straight down the lens of the camera, and you think, yeah, yeah he's not for long for the that, that, Now, that scene, though, in, in the committee room, the guy who's who, who's playing the uh, the sort of not general yes. chap. Wow. Who, that's an odd performance. <laughs> he isn't barks, it? doesn't he? He literally. He, barks, but he's barks. taken. I am playing possessed to the absolute. There will be no more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you couldn't be more suspicious if you tried. I think he's in the modern government. That guy. <laughs> yes. Just remember, it just came to me. I know. I don't think his character did survive because if you remember that he read the newspaper the following day saying mm. he left mm. to go on a trade envoy. Mm. Never seen was, again. Never seen again. Mm. But yes, there's that guy that just he almost sort of his jaw dislocates when he shouts at him. It's a very surreal scene. It's very because they're all possessed at that table mm. and. This is the thing. How can nobody realise these people are possessed? Well, again, if you go, if you, if we go back to Spearhead, you know, these people have been replaced by their waxworks, haven't they? And and that is a kind of that idea that you could just replace people in the corridors of power and get control of the government and all the decisions that are made is is quite powerful, and still resonates with modern audiences. I think that's the interesting thing. We still sometimes feel that our government's been taken over by by aliens. <laughs> Especially that oily one, you know, the uh, the one with the hyphen. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment on that. So we, um, episode three. Episode three. Now, three. The, the wonderful thing about episode three, uh, I mean, I actually, the Fowler is a nice uh, performance, isn't yes. it? Yes. Who's he yeah. played by? He's actually, he's, um, no, he's a well-established actor. As Austin Fowler, Trevor. Because Yes, that's it. He's named after Austin a car. Se- Austin it's- Seven. I knew it was it's code name Seven. But that's that's a lovely performance. But he uh, he becomes our ally in the government, and of course accompanies Quatermass on his trip to the the food plant that's also the Moon Project here on Earth. Yes, uh, because but all these domes are being built. There's an accident, isn't there? Mm. So whilst Fowler and Quatermass are 
being shown round the plant, mm. their official guide goes off and has a look at himself into something. Which ah, it's Rupert Ward. It's Derek have. Aylward, isn't it? He, um, yes. He, yeah. he, and he can, that, there that, you know the thing about that photograph that's in the book of him, where he's walking down the side of the, oh, the, the shell, there, in the yes. shell refinery, and, yeah. he's, and he's sort of leaving the, the trail. When I had the book, and I only had the book and I hadn't seen the episodes, I thought he was lying on the ground. Because it just looks like he's in a puddle on the ground, but of course that's it does, the, the yeah. slime. I'm mark looking at it now. Yeah, coming down the. They've been told this is a food production method, and there's been a bit of suspicion. They go and visit the plant. He's the uh, PR man, isn't he? He and, is. He's a, and he's sort of thinking, "Hold on, I've taken all these people round, but I've never brought them back. Mm, I'm not sure what I've been doing." <laughs> he has these <laughs> yes. doubts, and so he goes off, slips, falls in this food. And it's Which burns, a massively corrosive yeah. fluid and, yeah. of course, kills him. He's lucky to have made it as far as he did. It's such a um, powerful image, though. That. I, I have to bring in at this point, because I can't keep mm. his name out of this for much longer, mm. Charles Dejager. Okay. He is the film cameraman. Right. And responsible for directing a lot of the film mm. inserts in this. And the way that he uses... The Shell Refinery. Well, I'm fascinated, actually, by the Shell Refinery because, basically, it's almost done shot for shot for the film, isn't it? It is. The point then, the Shell Refinery was still being built. Mm. So they were in bits of it that hadn't really been switched on. Mm. But it was so out there. It was so modern. It was so futuristic. And, again, it would have been one of these areas that people would never have gone into unless they worked there Mm. so this imposing great building with its pipe work its huge domes and its gasometers Mm. this looks a quite a threatening place to be in add that with high shots and this is something you were not getting used to i mean Mm. if you look at dramas like 1984 a few Mm. years earlier you know all in studio yes it was all studio with a few silent Film inserts, but up there you had sound and you were shooting down and you Mm. were shooting panoramically as well. And again, memorable images. And night shooting as well. Well, yes, again, in episode five, the the, the night shooting is is phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, but you also get these silhouettes of these guards with machine guns. It's a very disturbing image. I imagine it's incredibly disturbing to 50s audiences who, of course, were still convinced. Yeah, but still convinced yeah. the Nazis might come back or the Russians might come over and, and this could be a future view of Britain. I'll tell you, because episode three, The Food, is the one where the, the family come to a sticky end. That's and, right, yeah. In that disturbing scene we talked about earlier. But the other thing that interests me is there's an earlier scene <laughs> where they go for a coffee, where they meet uh, Rupert Ward. Oh, and, yes, yes. and it's just that lovely scene where they say they go to one of the old coffee bars where nobody goes to these now because of these exciting new tea bars. <laughs> tea bars. Fifties Britain where really? you think tea is more exciting than coffee. <laughs> That's right. Doesn't doesn't she say when she's serving the coffee? Oh, people don't come here anymore. It's all tea bars now. <laughs> it's tea bars. <laughs> And you're looking at your branded, you're looking at your high street now, which is just obsessive about having branded coffee shops everywhere. Well, the 50s, they were great, remember? You know, there's none of these pubs. Oh, no. None of these these nightclubs. It was all tea bars where the teddy boys went. They all hung out. Uh, there's a wonderful scene in the middle of episode three uh, again which is Hugh Griffith's flashback to being the boy mathematical genius when he's just talking that's a lovely scene actually he shares with Paula and his memories of Wales and 
and you had the power to benefit mankind, which comes back later in the story as well. But that, And how the plot is driven slightly by Paula admitting she's scared of the dark, which inspires Hugh Griffiths. Leo Pugh, Leo Pugh, to look for the Bieber variation. Now, yes. <laughs> modern audiences might think the Bieber variation, some small <laughs> musician. <laughs> but this is you a real... See, has he got a poster in his quarters? Well, I, what I'm saying is there's, there's some real science in there. That's the interesting yes, yeah. thing about it. And of course, uh, what interests me again about some of these 50s uh, serials, and uh, Nigel, is he doesn't talk down to his audience. You get a Definitely lot, not, there's yeah. an awful lot, in certainly in the, um, a lot of the plot line. The last episode, you could argue, is a, it runs long, but it's actually a little bit, bit too rockety. I mean, it gets, again, weirdly, you get a lot of rocket science, which flashes back to the first serial again. You get a lot of technical jargon, but he doesn't hold mm-hmm. back on that. He actually you know, bombard you with a lot of technical... He assumes you know what maths is. Yeah, everything you have got there is part of a necessity for the audience to know Mm. and to educate them and make them aware of so they're going to get how it's going to pan out, why we're needing to do this, why we're needing to do this with the unstable nuclear reactor, Mm. what the effect's going to be. So how do you find... Because it's a typical science fiction, almost, yeah, this is leading up to where we have the episode four. Well, I think this is interesting that when they rewrote, or when Nigel Neal rewrote, because they actually did the, rewrote, they wrote the screenplay himself for the Quatermass 2 yeah. movie with Brian Donlevy, which is actually a cracking film. It's a cracking film. I mean, Donlevy aside, whether or not, how you know, how you feel about his character. I say, if, for a lot of people, it was the first time they're exposed. Those films were the first time the they're first exposed time to the Quatermass idea. Quatermass. I can remember seeing that mm. on BBC Two. And it was the first time I saw. Mm. I never saw Experiment. I saw Quatermass Two first. Mm. When I saw Experiment, I got quite excited about the mm. film, except for the mm. pile of tripe at the end. Well, yeah, but it lops most of the first episode and it lops a lot of the last yeah. episode, or most of the last episode. And actually, the main story is this this middle bit about finding out about the food plant, getting into the food plant and causing the riot that destroys the alien colony on Earth, if you like. But So basically, in the middle of episode three, our heroes escape the plant. Yes. Rupert Ward has been killed by the food and obviously we have discovered that the alien asteroid is out there. So we come to episode four, The Coming. I don't know whether that's an unfortunate uh, title for you some people ho ho isn't it funny but actually again this is the one that starts with the disturbing thing well it says it can, yes, <laughs> it says it comes from um, one of the moons of saturn this alien life mm. form which is quite an interesting hence the ammonia uh, hydrogen methane well again that's that's good science mm. if you think about it these these outer planets the gas giants is where uh, arthur c Clarke placed a lot of where he thought activity would be in, if there was life in the solar system beyond us, it was going to be the moons of the gas giants. So it's not unusual. It's just surprising sometimes how early yes. that that was known. I say, you know, you some we forget sometimes that actually this stuff, you know, a lot of the rocket science, a lot of this I mean, this is still I, I think we're still pre Sputnik. We are. Just, just about, just about, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the Mercury and Gemini and the Apollo and all the Soyuz and what have you yet to come is is the next decade. So a lot of this is conjecture, but it's it tells you that the science was out there because presumably Nigel Neal read this stuff 
and put it in his scripts. He wasn't, you know, just making it up off the top of his head. He'd go and find out about it. And this whole idea about nuclear propulsion and how dangerous that might be in later years, you know, you imagine now someone sticking a nuclear motor on something and launching it, we'd be going, oh, the environmentalists, and rightly yeah. so, would be going, that's very dangerous. And also, you think of the, the amount of research he's going to have to do anyway. Nowadays, you tap a few buttons, it pops up. He is going to be doing a heck of a lot of research. Mm. He's going to be speaking to mm. scientists, isn't he? And he's going to be looking at his journals and his publications. It's going to take a hell of a lot of background to build this idea up. Bearing in mind the short period of time in which, you know, he's constructed the script. Mm. I mean, he's only a staff writer. Initially, he's only a staff writer, and he's only just had his contract renewed by the BBC. And Mm. they literally put it on his shoulders and said, right, okay, we want another Quatermass story. And I don't think he Mm. really wanted to do another Quatermass story, to be fair. No. But at least this way around, he got to keep it the right story. Yes, he did. Yes, because <laughs> he was very bitter about the first one. I yes, because they sold it straight off to Hammer Films, didn't they? Mm. Also, there's a um, interesting thing. He wasn't very happy because Monica Gray reprised her her role in uh, Bob mm. Monkhouse comedy play after the end of the, the serial being shown, playing a, mm. a a woman called Paula Q. Ah. A professor's daughter, and he was absolutely livid about that. And the BBC mm. said, "Well, you know, you work for us. You, 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 you know, you're a staff yeah. writer. What you write is ours. If you design those Daleks, you're not going to exactly. make any money no out of them." Mate. money for you, Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the coming is 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 the one where it's all coming to fruition. It's coming up, and it, it is. And again, it's an interesting episode. I mean, I, I, I in one sense it does contain possibly what i think is possibly the worst scene in it which is the the daughter with paula going i'm being stupid (laughs) which i'm being so stupid which is a bit of a problem but but actually that helps drive the plot because someone has got to ask that question so they can do the explanation because you've got to introduce it 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 also has the exciting man-made gizmo that will be an improvement on the meteorite to you know, this is like a little time. Oh yes, thing like the egg timer. contains the alien essence, and of course, that's what nabs our friend yes, Fowler. Yes, he's looking in the. He's, he's jammed in a um, filing cabinet, isn't it, to catch the unwary? And indeed, it's episode four, which which features Roger Delgado's <gasps> sort of yes. brilliant. And there's that lovely line so, where he um, comes after Quatermass takes him to one side, says, "Let me tell you the story. I'll drive you to the pub." And he says, "What yeah. would you?" Can I get you a drink? Well, after that story, I think I'll have a double scotch yes, at least. <laughs> basically, they've gone off and in the car, he's told them all this thing and then they come in. And this is the thing. This is, again, part of the beauty of Neil, isn't it? He actually brings ordinariness yes. into the Brings story. people's and lives into so, it. I mean, you... So what happens is he goes into the... Well, it's basically the prefab pub for the prefab yeah. town. It never loses that and sort of hold of everyday life of the workers that live within that town. And there's a little bit of a party going, a bit of an Irish party. Yeah, it's it's a uh, wedding anniversary, it, isn't it? The McLeod. It's the McLeod wedding. Silver yes. Wedding Eve. You're having a party on the Silver Wedding Eve. It's a pre-party <laughs> party. Which <laughs> so, so the next day you can get rid of the hair of the dog by having another drink. <laughs> But there's that you f- and it's fascinating how amicable it yes. all is, and then suddenly they start asking too many questions, and the mood 
changes again there's all all the way through certainly a couple of episodes you've had this thing about not asking questions keeping secrets because that the enemy it's might that find poster out what isn't it and all this kind that of thing. person mm. going, Shh, sealed lips means shield lips yeah yes. and we find a bit more about out about quatermass as well don't we because he he comes out with that well we find out I once again that he's a scientist yeah <laughs> he's a scientist I'm a scientist, <laughs> and, we, and his wife died. Yeah, because the storyline behind so. that is allegedly that she died at a very early part of their mm. part of their marriage, and um, yeah, he's mm. so he's put himself into his work, but he hasn't lost his humanity. He still has the ability to think like and behave like a human being, but yet still be devoted about pushing the frontiers of space exploration forward. Yes. And then in this scene, we we we, heard, we also learn about the overshots. Yeah. Now, overshots are the, a side effect of the process, we're yeah. told, and we believe <laughs> them, which is, which again, is so British, isn't it? Oh, it's just, yeah. Oh, well, That's fine. fine. Yes, yeah. I, well, I won't they, worry about they these keep, They keep putting holes in our roofs, but no, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. But, uh, so basically, in the process, a missile, because... One overshot comes through at the pod roof, and uh, does he actually get his wife? Is, is she got by it? Or no, she's put. She's she's shocked? shocked. I think she's shocked. Yeah, and because um, yeah, it, it puts her. a hole in the roof, but yeah, just misses her. And we turn round, and obviously the stagehands have turned the ta- mm. table up on its side. <laughs> Out of mm. shot. And so they, they, well, funny enough, I mean, Quatermass leaves at this point and they try and run down a guard and they're out in the open and they realise that there are thousands of these meteors coming in and this is it, this is the night yes. that's it's going to happen. And from that point, Quatermass is trying to get back into the plant, whereas Hugh Conrad goes, this is, this is Roger yeah. Delgado, goes back to the pub to phone in his story and it's actually him that the people believe and this incites them to charge the gate and the reason you know maybe because of workers workers because they see his deterioration don't they well they believe his story because he's a journalist i think obviously he's a journalist from the star so they believe every word and off they go to the plant that's right they introduce him this is hugh conrad look who's here he's doing a Mm. piece on it and everybody seems Mm. to know him so he's obviously popular for the past year this country and probably others has been under the influence of Look, Frank, you'll have to sub this to make it sound right, but under the influence of something from outside the earth, yes, the things come in what appear to be meteorites. Contact with them produces violent infection. Ten minutes ago, I became the victim of one. No, Frank, I can't. I, I can't. Are you getting this? Subjugation to the intention of the thing is widespread. It's given rise to the production of a, a protected colony at a place called Winnerden Flats. No, it's not synthetic food. It's, it's the recreation of a world 800 million miles away. They're coming at this moment in thousands. Quite a mess. Get Professor Quatermass. He's in the plant now, alone. Well, we seem to have run out of time for our rather epic chat about Quatermass 2, so I'll have to pick that up in next week's Vision on Sound. You know how it is when you get chatting about something you're really enthusiastic about. Many thanks to Warren Cummings for joining me to share in our mutual enthusiasm for this genuine television classic. 
That's it for another edition of Vision on Sound, but don't forget to join us again next time for the thrilling conclusion. Thanks also to everyone here at Fab Radio International, and of course, thanks to all of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, and this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now, and take care. (laughs) 